0: And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow on our show, a conversation with Stuart Pittman. He's the Anne Arundel County Executive. We'll talk about his policy priorities as he enters his second term and his priorities in the 2023 General Assembly session. So Stuart Pittman joins me tomorrow here on Midday. And if you've just joined us today, we're talking about criminal justice and the best ways to reduce the violence that remains a huge challenge in our city and in cities across the country. Joining me now, Heather Warnkin. She's the Executive Director of the Center for Criminal Justice Reform at the University of Baltimore School of Law. Heather, welcome back. Great to see you. See you.
1: You as well. Thanks for having me.
0: And Ray Kelly is with us. He is a longtime activist in Baltimore who is the executive director of the Citizens Policing Project. Welcome back, sir. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. They join me in Studio A. You are welcome to join us, too. What do you think about the effort to extend the sentences for illegal gun possession from three to five years? Will that achieve the goal of reducing the number of guns on our streets? You can call us at 410-662-8780. You can email us. Midday at WIPR.org, and you can tweet us at midday WIPR. So, Heather Morgan, you uh, testified in front of the legislature uh, about this bill, 481, uh, which uh, Mr. Bates is uh, very much uh, an advocate for. Um, you say not only is it a bad idea, not only will it not reduce gun violence, it'll actually make communities less safe. How?
1: Sure. And I want to be really clear from the outset, addressing the immeasurable pain of gun violence must be a top priority. This should be at the top of every elected leader's agenda. We just do not feel, based on a large body of evidence, that this is the way to get there. Um, And that, as you said, not only will it not contribute to our public safety efforts, but that it will undermine it. And the main reason why is that unnecessary incarceration destabilizes a person's life. It weakens communities and can actually contribute to recidivism. And I should also point out that the plan under this bill is to incarcerate people further away from home, notwithstanding the large body of research demonstrating that disconnection from family is actually a significant contributor to recidivism.
0: So when I asked the state's attorney about that, he said, you know, there's a big difference between being in jail in Baltimore City and being in uh, one of the Department of Correction institutions Hagerstown Jessup wherever um, he, he says he's you know he's a defense attorney he's got uh, clients that you know have told him uh, it really uh, there's a marked difference in that this would in fact be a deterrent
1: yeah, so this bill, the premise behind it, relies on a faulty set of assumptions about deterrence. So it's sort kind of conflating certainty of consequences with severity of consequences. And these are actually two very different things. So again, the great weight of the evidence demonstrates that lar- longer sentences do not deter crime, it's certainty of consequences that matters. And you know, there's a lot more to talk about, about the specifics of that, which I'm happy to get into. But I, I just wanna say also, with all due respect to State's Attorney Bates, drawing on the private conversations with his prior uh, defense clients is not a sample size. And we're talking about um, the great weight of the evidence.
0: And Ray Kelly, um, you know, you've been in this community working uh, on these issues for a long, long time. What are folks telling you uh, about it? The state's attorney says when he goes to community meetings, people are saying, hey, look, we've got to make our neighborhoods safer. You should throw these people in jail for a longer time than you're uh, currently doing.
2: So for many in the community, its appearance is that regression into a failed attempt at public safety from years ago, which we know fractured a community. It overwhelmed the state's attorney's office. It led to zero tolerance type of policing, which essentially led to mass incarceration. And we can't make pretend that the state penal system is some sort of rehabilitative institution where we know that in this COVID pandemic era, there is no rehabilitation in those institutions where, once again, we can't rely on enforcement to solve a problem that's rooted in poverty, lack of opportunity, redlining, and all of those issues. So we must if we've learned nothing else is we have to invest in access to opportunities for those who choose a life of violence.
0: And, and what do you say when the state's attorney says, look, you know, uh, the law gives me one tool and it's
2: jail? I get it. I get it. He's elected to enforce or convict those that have been accused of breaking the law. I get it. That's his job. But we also have to look at the historic uh, impact of this type of punitive approach on the community and the state of the city itself.
0: And Heather Warnkin, what about the state's attorney's point that there is a different. Um, length, uh, and neither, we should make clear, neither of these are mandatory minimums. These are, you know, ranges that judges can uh, choose from. But if you're 18 to 20 years old, there's a different standard than if you're over the age of 21. He says that it should all just be made uniform. What do you think?
1: Well, my response to that, if this was about making it uniform across those age groups, why would you go up? To the five-year range, why wouldn't you go down and make it uniform with the three-year range, especially given what we know about consequences and about what works?
0: And the the what about his uh, assertion? I mean, again, it goes back to his uh, uh, conversations with his defense clients, which, as you say, isn't a, a, a state a study sample. But um, when do you believe people are really? cognizant of what the penalties are for this offense or that offense. I mean, uh, people talk about getting handguns off the street. Ray's exactly right when it comes to, you know, the root causes, poverty, uh, housing, redlining. These are all, you know, absolutely true. But in terms of what's going on right now to get guns off the streets, um, if, if more people were incarcerated for longer periods of time, we'd have fewer guns on the streets.
1: The reality is that people are not thinking about that when they're making the decision about whether or not to pick up a gun, especially if that decision is based on fear and on um, trauma. And I think, again, if we want to be serious about addressing this problem of gun violence, we need to be serious about addressing the reasons why people are picking up the guns in the first place. And there's a whole lot that including that we detail in our written testimony about ways to address those factors more Mm -hmm. effectively.
0: And Ray Kelly, um, there are folks who say, well, those factors really are important, but why can't you do both? Why can't you have incarceration for those people who are breaking the law, uh, that will take that person with that gun off of the street for a period of time, uh, and then at the same time, uh, worry about and, and, and work hard on poverty, redlining, education, job opportunities, et cetera. What, is, is it a e- either or thing?
2: So the historic disparities on who's been previously impacted by these practices and how that perpetuated the situation that we're in should be taken into account. And we know that increased focus on handguns also means increased focus on our communities. And our history tells us how, essentially, these types of movements tough on crime tend to indict the Black community. And then we have a lot of issues with the police department that we, we're now trying to overcome the documented abuse of those police powers in Baltimore city. So for me, the argument is we have tried this before. We we keep saying this, the idea of a larger sis- sentence for a younger demographic was under the same premise of a deterrence. We want to, kind of put that fear in them while they're younger and now that they're crossing that threshold all like we got to raise the number why would like how to say it why would you not invest more into opportunities trainings whatever rehabilitation we we have to look at what is making criminal activity outside drug trade a viable source of income in this city and then how are we perpetuating that by creating this space where a lot of people feel like that's their only option to earn a livable wage.
0: And and Heather uh, you Well, let's have you make a a quick point, and then I want to ask you a specific question.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to build on those really important points that Ray is making, especially because we have heard Mr. Bates repeatedly talk about this as, don't worry, it's not a mandatory minimum. You know, don't worry, it's not going to contribute to over-incarceration in the way that we've seen that has devastated our communities over the past number of decades. So I want to really point out that... This raises the ceiling of a penalty and then gives discretion to prosecutors and judges to decide who deserves those ranges. And again, just a large body of evidence, a long history now of seeing that that will disproportionately incarcerate black, brown and poor residents at much higher rates. And we need to pay attention to this because Maryland already in the context of punitive excess across this country. Maryland holds the distinction of the highest rates of over-incarceration of black men and youth. Our our racial disparities are the worst. So I think we really need to be thoughtful about this.
0: All right. when well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to talk about, in particular, your point about the uh, distinction between uh, the the severity uh, and the, the certainty of the consequences when it comes to the p system. Heather Warkin is an attorney and the executive director of the Center for Criminal Justice Reform at the University of Baltimore School of Law. Ray Kelly is the executive director of the Citizens Policing Project, and we will have more with our guests on the other side of a quick break. To join us, 410-662-8780. We have Robin who's on the line in Baltimore. We're going to get to Robin as soon as we come back. Our email, midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. And before we go to a break, each week here on our show, it's our practice to read the names of people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the Midday webpage. We do so to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families, and friends in their hour of grief. We get their names from a researcher named Ellen Worthing from the Baltimore Sun and from the Baltimore Police Department. So far in 2023, 48 people have lost their lives to violence in our city. Police have identified six of the nine people who fell victim to homicide in the city over the past two weeks. They are Mason Kelly, age 21, Dion Blackwell, age 29, Terence English, age 54, Adam White, age 29, Kiri Austin, age 20, and Isaiah Carter. He was 16 years old. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back.
1: This is 88.1 WYPR.
0: And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, we're talking about criminal justice reform. My guests are Heather Warnkin of the Center for Criminal Justice Reform at the University of Baltimore School of Law, and Ray Kelly. He's the executive director of the Citizens Policing Project. We'll try to take a couple of calls if we can. You can join us at 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org, and you can send us a tweet. Uh, let's go to the phones to Robin, who is on the line in Baltimore. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Robin. What's on um, your mind?
3: Well, um, I'm sort of sorry that Mr. Bates isn't still here to hear my comment. Um, uh, I supported him in his ha- campaign for state's attorney, but um, and I'm not an expert in criminal justice, as you know. I'm a doctor. I'm a physician, but I was once involved in formulating national health policy. So um, I was deeply disturbed by his denigration of science in his articles in the banner and in the baltimore sun um he said you know my priority as a state's attorney is not to use baltimore as an experiment for untested policies we've done it all the academics way for the past eight years enough is enough you know he attacked the professors who are testifying against him um so that bothered me the denigration of science the sort of ad hominem attack on scientists
0: Okay. So, well, th- th- um, thanks for the perspective. Um, let me ask Heather Morgan to talk about specifically the data, because uh, the state's attorney was also talking about a, a new newish uh, report that came from the Department of Justice, uh, saying that in fact uh, increased incarceration uh, or increased in- sentences uh, has you know has a positive effect.
1: Yeah, so that report, the report from the 120 initiative that Mr. Bates was discussing both on this program today and on a WBAL radio interview last week, Actually, again, with all due respect, I think really says the opposite of what Mr. Bates claims it does. Um, the The great weight of the recommendations that that report focuses on actually align with our opposition testimony and the need to invest in health and healing oriented strategies that can be more effective at addressing the root causes of gun violence. Buried deep in that report, in other recommendations, it talks about using existing gun laws again existing not enhanced penalties to identify the small percentage of the population that is at highest risk for violence, the very small percentage actually uh, committing crime to to hold people accountable, which is very similar to the focused deterrence GVRS model that we have here in Baltimore, whereas this bill is a general deterrence. And the last thing I want to say about that is um, it's named the 120 initiative after the approximately 120 people who are killed. By guns every day, not 120 academics in the DMV. And one of the experts behind that report is my co-author, um, on the opposition op-ed, Dr. Joseph Richardson, who I know feels very strongly as we have written in the banner.
0: Right. And that's a, a op-ed that you and Dr. Richardson did in the Baltimore banner opposing this law. So uh, let's talk a little bit, Ray, about this notion of severity of consequences versus certainty of consequences. Um, what's your experience in terms of how people, uh, you know, see those two things? Uh, are people afraid of being Uh, caught and arrested. Uh, What role does uh, arresting uh, play in terms of uh, people's, you know, influencing people's behavior?
2: So essentially, all I can say is people that feel like they're stuck in this life of crime, or they live in this community that's not safe, or they feel the need for protection for whatever reason are weighing those consequences. They're not necessarily thinking about how much time they're going to get if they get caught. They're doing whatever is necessary to not get caught, to not get engaged in anything that could actually get them arrested, taken off the streets. So,
0: Given the fact that we've been involved in a consent decree now for how many years? Seven, seven years, years or something like that? Um it, since that, the, the beginning of that consent decree, do you think um, that there is a sense... Uh, among people who are making these decisions to carry handguns and to even commit crimes with those handguns, that there is a certainty of consequence. Because, you know, uh, Mike Harrison, the police commissioner, comes on this show uh, regularly and says uh, that that he thinks that there isn't a sense that the consequences are certain for a lot of people.
2: Well, the consequences shouldn't be certain because every situation should be circumstantial and there are different reasons and different Excuses, whatever we want to call, of why this is the circumstance that this person had a gun. So it's not the same for someone with a pocket full of drugs that has a gun on them as it is with someone that's driving in their car and has a gun under the seat because they live in a rough neighborhood, both our possession of a handgun.
0: And Heather Warnkin, how do you uh, make this distinction between, you know, Mm -hmm. severity and certainty?
1: Yeah, again, the studies demonstrate that longer sentences do not deter crime. It's not the severity, it's the certainty that matters. And that's really certainty of apprehension um, and response, again, is far more important and cost-effective Than increasing the length. And in particular, the research, including the Johns Hopkins report, points out that um, longer terms of incarceration for unlicensed gun carry specifically is documented as making individuals more, not less, likely to make to commit crimes. And that report also details a number of systemic deficiencies, why there's not currently a certainty of consequences, including breakdown in in relationship with criminal justice partners. And with all of that, we feel very strongly that it's not a wise use of our resources to prioritize making consequences for illegal gun possession more severe than the ones that we already have. Mr. Bates actually already has the tools in his toolbox, as he refers to, um, to to hold people accountable.
0: What about holding gun manufacturers accountable? Ray Kelly, we've got an email from uh, Barry, uh, who says, uh, you know, would it be a good approach to sue the gun manufacturers? I mean, if everybody agrees, it'd be great if we had fewer guns on the street. uh, Is that an approach uh, that the city should think
2: about? So personally, I feel like we should be pursuing more gun regulations, suing manufacturers, whatever the case may be, because we know that the more guns that are being sold and manufactured, the more guns that are going to be on the streets. And then there will be more people using guns. So it's a fact that this country itself has an issue with guns. I think when we talk about suing manufacturers, it's been tried a lot of times, we talk about second amendment rights and that's a hard path to carry. I think the most efficient and effective route is creating alternatives to crime and creating opportunities investing in schools and things of that nature and being proactive because essentially once again Baltimore City and this country as a whole is beginning this regression into leaning on the punitive approach despite a million conversations that say we can't arrest our way out of this Uh, We have uh, Earl's
0: emails and says this business about certainty of punishment rings true to me in the household where I grew up. It was the certainty of punishment that kept me in line. Um, We have a caller on the line. I think we'll have time to uh, grab this call real quickly. Let's go to Maya, who's on the line in Baltimore. Thanks for calling midday.
3: Thank you. I'm calling because I do not believe that punishment deters crime, and I don't believe that arrests and police can deter crime or lower crime rates. What helps lower crime is support. Supporting the people who have uh, hardships in their lives that cause them to turn to doing these sorts of things. And Ivan Bates' plan, even though it has some new tweaks to it, we've done that before and it hasn't worked. And I think we should be investing in programs such as uh, the nonprofit Thread, whose director has been interviewed on WIPR before, that organization gets uh, students in high school into their program for ten years and provides wraparound services young people who are at risk and turns their lives around. Ivan yeah. Bates said, "We can't wait for for wraparound services. Well, we don't have to wait. It exists
0: now." Okay, Maya. Thanks. We're running short on time. Um, We just have 30 seconds. Uh, A final point, Heather Warnkin.
1: Yeah, I I just want to emphasize that, that again, no one in the opposition is advocating for the status quo. We are advocating for a number of other solutions that we are still um, leaving on the table. Things that we can do right now to address this problem, like greater investment in community violence intervention, programs like ROCA that have great promise in reducing homicides and retaliatory shootings, improving Victim services, improving trust between police and community to address um, the abysmal closure rates. There's a lot more by way of solutions that we'd love to discuss with the state's attorney's office. And
0: we will continue this discussion as we have time. Heather Warnkin is the executive director of the Center for Criminal Justice Reform at the University of Baltimore School of Law. Ray Kelly is the executive director of the Citizens Policing Project. Thanks to you both. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, we turn our attention to Anne Arundel County with County Executive Stuart Pittman. Hope you can join us for that conversation. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for
1: listening. Have a great day. This is 881, WYPR.